Swung on high, this is tagged by Hammered it again. At the track, I indeed the right. That ball just got so out of was here. This is going to go to the rock This ball's getting small. Right back at the track. Seems like the ball's had a lot of life the last couple of nights. High fly deep center. This is going to go for a two-run homer. Makata. High fly ball to right field. Off the bat of Engel. This is a home run night. Swinging a high fly to right. This is tagged. Going back at the track. Slam. Turn on the fireworks. This is is White Sox Weekly. As I mentioned, strike after strike, he is on a roll. Seven straight strikeouts, the wind and the 0-2 pitch, swing and a miss at a fastball away, make it eight in a row for Giolito. I think that Lucas is well on his way to being an excellent big league starter. We're expecting uh, and anticipating that it's going to be a big piece of us moving forward the rest of the year, in the coming years. The Chicago Baseball Conversation on the flagship home of the Sox, 720 WGN. Welcome in, White Sox Weekly, indeed on the air. Love that open. And a big day earlier in the week for Lucas Giolito, even though the White Sox did lose that game on Thursday, but the eight straight strikeouts, that was impressive. How are you doing, everybody? This is, uh, I think as we get to the end of the season, by the way, my name is Mark Carmen with you till 2.30 today. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, covering the team all season long. And Scott Merkin from MLB.com will be on as well. We may check in with Darren Jackson. And we are going to play a little snippet coming up here uh, from Mike Shirley, who is the White Sox new amateur scouting director. And I sat down with Mike when he got the job. And I think it's very important as we get to the end of the year right now, I think the White Sox right now are sitting back and digesting everything that's occurred, and part of getting to where you're going in life, and the White Sox, of course, want to go to the top of the MLB mountain and win the World Series, you kind of got to step back and, and look at where you're at, right? And so I'm just going through the numbers and the individual performances and just sizing up exactly where the White Sox are. Today, on your calendar is September the 15th. White Sox and the Mariners coming up. White Sox record coming into today, 65-83. and 83. Last year at this time, after the 15th, they beat the Baltimore Orioles 2-0, and they won their 59th game of the year. 59-89 and 89 at that point, on their way to 62 wins. The White Sox did not play well at the end of the year. Whether that matters or not, who, I'm not going to have that discussion, but that's that was the reality. The White Sox right now are six, sitting at 65 wins. Hopefully you figure they get to you know 72, 73, somewhere in that. So you're going to have, let's call it a 10-game improvement. What would that look like if you go plus 10 next year? So now you're a 500 club. Would that satisfy White Sox fans? I don't think so. It wouldn't freak you out. I don't think people would be calling the radio station and writing on Twitter or whatever. The rebuild's not working. But I think the expectation next year is for the White Sox to be right there in the thick of going to the playoffs. Huge goal, big leap, but certainly possible depending on how aggressive the White Sox are in the offseason. Phone number, by the way, is 312-981-7200. If you do want to get in on White Sox Weekly, now is a good time to do it. And I'm asking you a question. Are you, what are you most happy about this year? 
And what are you most perhaps disappointed in or wanted more? 312-981-7200. Now, before I get to the individuals, I want to take a look at the minor leagues. Because that at this point, it's the whole organization. And now wins and losses in the minors are not everything. But I do think it is indicative of what type of team you have, perhaps what type of chemistry you're building. And the White Sox are clearly relying on further infiltration for the minors, and that's coming in Luis Robert, and it's coming in Nick Madrigal. It's coming in lots of forms. Who knows who will be get, who will get to debut next year. Maybe you'll see a guy like Blake, Blake Rutherford. Charlotte this year, 75-64. and 64. Now that is an 11-game improvement from last year when they went 64-75. and 75. Now why did Charlotte get better this year? Well, part of the reason that Charlotte got better this year is they had a ton of Major League talent on that roster. Daniel Palka was hitting 27 homers for the White Sox in 2018. He hit 27 homers for Charlotte this year. Now that is not what you wanted, right? Nobody wanted Daniel Palka to have the year that he's had and to go back to AAA and contribute and help the Charlotte Knights win baseball games, but that's what happened. So that's not great. But then there's been other surprises. Who led, who had the most hits trivia for the Charlotte Knights this year? Curtis Koch producing White Sox Weekly. You want to guess on that? The most hits, not the highest batting average, but the most hits by a wide margin, by the way, which means that you were at AAA the whole year, which means that you were pretty consistent, and it means that you had a pretty, pretty, pretty good season. You want to guess? I have no clue. I See, when you say they have to be there the whole year, well, most of true. it. I would, I would guess Nick Madrigal. Nick Madrigal got to AAA late. Yeah, but he Joe, was later. Joe whatever. Brand just popped in the studio. I'm wondering what he has a guess on that. Brando, grab that microphone. Most hits at AAA Charlotte this year. Danny Mendick. Danny Mendick is correct by a wide margin. 133 hits for Danny Mendick. Followed by Alcides Escobar, 105 hits. Followed by Daniel Palka, 104 hits. Now, Danny Mendick's a nice story, and I love the fact that he got called up, and he's contributing now in September. And maybe he's a piece that can play all over the diamond and be a bench guy, but that's not going to carry the mail of the rebuild. We all know this. And Danny, I love Danny Mendick. Not recruited out of high school, went to a junior college, got to UMass Lowell, 22nd round draft pick. Nobody gave him a shot, and there he is. I hope he sticks around. But if you're looking, when you look at the wins, yeah, they improved by 11 wins. Is that is that is that good? Sure. But how did it, how did they get there? Danny Mendek, Alcides Escobar had 105 hits. That's a veteran who got released from the organization. No relevance going forward. Daniel Palka, will he be on the White Sox next year? Long odds on that. I, I Maybe, but I wouldn't bet on it. Ryan Goins, 88 hits. Backup guy, 4A player, been around for a long time. Now, Zach Collins is interesting. First-round draft pick, 80, 83 hits at Charlotte. Who led, the, who led the Charlotte Knights in home runs? That's Daniel Palka with 27. Where does Zach Collins fit? 19 bombs. Zach Collins 
is a guy that you would think is going to be in the big leagues next year. And also, it's the fact that he contributed a bunch of AAA is a good thing. The thing with Zach Collins that we're all wondering about is, can he catch? Can he actually play behind the plate? Or is he going to be a first base slash DH guy and be able to give you that left-handed thunder? These are questions the White Sox do not know the answers to. So, that's part of AAA success that's decent. But the biggest thing at AAA, and who everybody's excited about, is Luis Robert, who didn't get to AAA till later in the year, played 47 games. So roughly a third of the season, 202 at-bats at AAA. And he finished with ridiculous numbers for, for that amount of time. 60 hits, 10 doubles, 5 triples. In 202 at-bats, he had 16 home runs. That's, that's ridiculous. OPS of 974, just a, which was, I want to say that is... Of people that played any significant amount of games, it's second to Yermin Mercedes, who catcher had a great year. Who knows if he'll get an opportunity going forward. But that is good. And also, when you look at part of the contribution, well, part of that contribution comes from Nick Madrigal. Now, Nick Madrigal, who had an incredible year from Winston-Salem to A Birmingham to A. And he played 29 games at AAA, hit 331 with an on-base percentage of 398, and maybe most impressive in a game that the Charlotte Knights absolutely had to win on the last day to get into the playoffs. The dude went five for five, five for frigging five. That to me is a winner, and I know it's one game in base clutch, right? Small sample size, but like, I can't wait to see Nick Madrigal play second base for the White Sox next year. And for the record, I like Yomar Sanchez a ton. One of my favorite guys on the team. I hope he stays around. I hope he's a utility guy. But you need guys who are going to move the needle. And Nick Madrigal has the opportunity to do that, I would think, at the top of the order. And from a show up to the ballpark, do everything right every single day, that's Nick Madrigal. We've had him on the show a ton of times. Leader. Born leader. Love him. 312-981-7200. Thing you are most proud of, most excited about from this year. We haven't even touched the big league club. We haven't touched the double-A level. But when we come back here, too, I'm going to play a little snippet from the White Sox new amateur scouting director, Mike Shirley, who's been in the organization for 20-plus years and is now in charge of bringing in the talent, which is a big thing, a big shift in the organization moving forward. And you can join us, by the way, for the final Family Sunday of the season on Sunday, September 29th. The Sox take on the Tigers, 2.10 p.m. Get lower-level tickets for as low as $15, parking for just $10. Family Sundays, proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola and enjoy the game. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Somehow the music just cut out there. I was really actually getting into a little boogie with that one. That's okay. Hey, uh, before we get to the phone lines here, 312-981-7200 and Vinny Duber from NBC Sports Chicago coming up after 1 o'clock. Let me remind you that 2020 ticket packages are on sale now. Secure your seat with a 20-game plan and find the plan that meets your schedule and budget with lower-level plans starting as low as $403. Just let that sink it. Lower level plan, twenty games, four hundred and three bucks. That is twenty dollars a ticket with a three dollar service fee. If I'm doing the math right, which I know I am, I don't know if that's the exact service fee, but look at that. 
I mean, that's cheap. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Let me take out the word cheap. That is a great value. That is something that I would highly consider if I was a baseball fan. Let's go out to, uh, and we're talking about what are you excited most from this season as we're winding it down here uh, with the White Sox. I always get emotional at the end of the year. What do we got here? We got four, seven, 10, 14 games to go, 14 left. Of course, White Sox Weekly is all year long, but we shift to a one-hour show uh, in the off season. thing that I'm most happy about, is, which I just teed up and most excited about, I think is what everyone's most excited about, and that's Luis Robert. Luis Robert, when you're hitting 30 home runs across three levels, when you're slugging over 1,000, when you're running the bases, and you're playing a, uh, a great center field as well, I mean... I don't want to say that I think he's going to be the best player on the White Sox next year, but I feel like he could be the best player on the White Sox next year. I think that's at least on the table. And that's a huge statement because Yohan Moncada's had a phenomenal year, and Tim Anderson may win a batting title, and Eloy Jimenez has 27 home runs. But I'm not taking any chips off the table with what Luis Robert could be, and he may be the best of, of everyone they have, not to put too much pressure on the young man. But I think everyone's excited about that. I'll get to more of my excited nature but i want to hear from you 312-981-7200 scott the king the king is on the air what's up king how are you i am excellent king how are you i'm very good thank you do you have something you're excited about i know you do king well there's yeah there's i always i always have a little something that i'm excited about but this year was a breakout year and for three players and then one overall concept and the three players are tim anderson not because of his batting average, but because of his leadership and taking over that clubhouse and really becoming a leader in the field and a leader in that clubhouse. Okay. Two Go ahead. Would be Mancada. Mancada at the beginning of the year, I remember you and Harry and others saying that he might be a bust. Those other in baseball, he's anything but a bust. He is a legitimate fielder and hitter and competitor from both sides of the plate. I don't think I ever said he would be a bust, but I didn't think yeah, that well, he, I didn't think that he was going to be a potential MVP candidate, which is where he Many which, people were questioning him based on his prior year. Yeah, well, if he was going to if he was going to make it or not, they were questioning the trade. Chris Sale just came off a World Series. There was a lot of questioning of that trade. Now I think you look back with Chris Sales on the disabled list after paying $168 million for an extension, and they're saying the White Sox got the better of that deal. Oh, there's, well, look, uh, I, there was conversation around 217 strikeouts for Yoan Moncada in 2018, uh, along with a batting average and an OPS that weren't stellar. I mean, his OPS last year was 715. You want it to be at 800 for, I don't want to get too baseball nerdy here. Uh, and he had 235. So yes, there was, there was, there was concern. There is no longer concern with Yoan Moncada. That's a great point, King. What else you got? And then finally, Jimenez. His, for his first year and not a full year and being hurt, being on the disabled list twice, hell of a year. I know. I think 24. 24 home runs, I think, uh, maybe a little more. 20, uh, 27, shot at 30 as a rookie. He's got 68 RBIs. He's as likable as they come. I actually think his defense has been slightly better than advertised, but it's, uh, you know, obviously it's not great out there, but I, there is, in my mind at least, some potential to be at least an average left fielder, which uh, 
I, I didn't think that he was necessarily going to be that, so that, that would be an improvement. But that is an interesting thing for the White Sox, by the way. Who's playing outfield alongside Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez next year in right field, and will it be somebody who can catch the baseball? Because I, yeah, I think it needs to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And then finally, and I think most importantly out of uh, my four points, is the team. He have 65 wins, and they're still high-fiving, enjoying each other, cheering each other on. That's after a pitching staff that's been decimated by injury. And these guys still enjoy the game of baseball, and they enjoy each other, and that's going to make a huge difference next year. You throw Robert on top of that, and you got yourself a division winner and possibly a World Series champion. King, great call. Appreciate you. We're up against the news. Uh, I'm going I'm to respond to what you just said. Thanks for checking in. Bye-bye. There goes the king. All right. Uh I love the optimism of the King, who is dreaming up a World Series for next year. And I think he makes a, a very valid point and that the White Sox do have good chemistry. That clubhouse is incredibly solid. And if you add in whoever it will be in the offseason, I think a, an established veteran performer who wants to be in Chicago and wants to lift this team up to the next level, or at least help lift them up. All that—that's a win. And Ricky has the respect of everybody in that in that dugout as well. I am curious if the White Sox will make any moves on their coaching staff. Ricky was asked about that this week, and it was—he didn't say—he didn't say no. Uh, he didn't say yes either. And, and he's not going to tell you right now, but I, I wonder if there might be a tweak or two uh, with the staff. All right, let's get a quick timeout here. Uh, news is coming up, and then Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago. We'll continue the conversation with him after 1 o'clock. It's White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. At the wall, the 380, gone. A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Three-run homers are sweet, Farmio. But like three hits a day to the end of the year, that would do it for Tim Anderson. Probably two hits a day would do it as well. Trying to win that batting title. Hitting three thirty-three coming into today. DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees is four points back in the American League at three twenty-nine. If you're looking at overall, Timmy's up top there too. Anthony Rendon, three thirty-one. Uh, for your Washington Nationals. That's tops in the National League. Let's bring in my guy Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, doing a great job covering the team. And uh, also, you made your debut, Vinny, on the White Sox pregame show alongside Chuck Garfine. That had to bring a smile to so many White Sox fans' faces, including your own, to be sitting next to Chuck and doing the uh, the Saturday night work. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. It was a good, it was a good time. I, I kicked things off with a Bay City Rollers reference, so I'm sure I thinned out the uh, audience real quick. <laughs> Maybe you did, but that's okay. that's okay. So your latest piece, you're writing about uh, the fact that you know guys that are hot right now in September are keys to 2020, and Jose Abreu saying that the 2020 season starts in September. Vinny, do you believe that? Because I don't know you can say that, right? The carryover from September to the next year, I don't know if that actually plays out across baseball if you go back in time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a a case-by-case basis with each individual player, right? I don't know how many times you can go back and see, you know, a team uh, had a great September, missed the playoffs, and then carried it over into into April. I don't know if that happens too often. But I think for the individual guys, certainly you can accomplish a lot in in a month. 
uh, and, and you know, figure things out in a way that will really help you going into the next season. Who are you most confident in that they'll duplicate or come close to duplicating what they've done this year? From Moncada, who stepped up, to Tim Anderson, who's chasing a batting title, to Lucas Giolito, who has had a huge transformation. Like, do, do you look at any of those above the other as far as, like, you know, that one I, too, I, I truly believe has staying power for next year and maybe beyond? Yeah, I think it is a little difficult to say considering such the big jumps we saw from last season to this one, right? I mean, you, the guys you just mentioned, Moncada, Giolito, and Anderson, those three are totally different players from what they were a year ago right now. I mean, Giolito last year was the wor- had the worst stats of any pitcher in baseball. Now he's probably going to finish somewhere in the Cy Young voting. Uh, Johan Moncada, uh, you know, had 217 strikeouts. Now he's the best all-around hitter on the team. Tim Anderson hit 240 last year. Now he's going to uh, perhaps and probably win the batting title in the American League. So it, it, it's it, because those guys have had such wild swings, you want to pump the brakes a little. If I had to pick, uh, I'd I, I take a cop-out answer and say Jose Abreu because he's been so consistent over the course of his career. But I'll go ahead and say Giolito just because I think he's really figured things out from a mental standpoint that totally changed his game, and I think he's had great success replicating that from wire to wire this season. I mean, if I think if the White Sox had to pick one and only one from what you just named, I think they would pick Giolito, right? I mean, that's what you need the most, I, I would say. Give me the horse at the front of the rotation who's going to be there because I don't know who I, – they have a lot of candidates who can join him. But no one has really emerged to this point. I mean, they really, really, really need Lucas Giolito to be the Lucas Giolito he's been. Is that fair in your mind? Yeah, I totally agree. I, th- I think whether he's the ace of the staff next year or whether they go out and make a big pitching acquisition and, and he's right at the top with Giolito, um, whoever that might be, I think that having Giolito either in that one or two spot giving you consistency, that's the key. Because, I mean, we've seen Reynaldo Lopez for example, flash so much promise at times. You know, he'll go out and throw a complete game one day and and double-digit strikeouts, and then the next day he he can't make it out of the fourth inning the next time. So, you know, it's he's swung back and forth between the extremes. If you can have a steady guy in Giolito giving you what you want, that would obviously be huge. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, with us here on White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Do you think the White Sox are going to be in on Garrett Cole, who's the top free agent pitcher out there, and it's going to cost a ton of money and there will be a lot of teams that want him? I certainly think that they're going to try. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't know if that means that they think they're going to get him, or I don't know if that means that we should all think they're going to get him, but I think what they showed last year in going after Manny Machado is they're going to try. and. Listen, if someone offers more money or if a player uh, has a, a certain attachment to a certain part of the country or, or, his, or his wife has a certain attachment to a certain part of the country, that is kind of out of their hands. What they can do is try. They can go after these guys. Uh, Garrett Cole is going to be probably the most sought-after free agent this winter. Um, Manny Machado was the most sought-after free agent last winter. Him and Bryce Harper right up there, and the White Sox were in on him. So I don't think you can say, oh, they don't have a chance, they're not going to be in on him. At the same time, I don't know if you can say they're definitely going to land him either. I think that's probably uh, going to be a difficult battle. Well, let, let me let me rephrase then. And for the record... I did not want the White Sox to spend their money on Manny Machado. When you make huge investments like that, you got to be right. And for me personally, there is too much variable variance with Machado, in my mind at least, really wanting to be as good as he can possibly be. Uh, the talent's ridiculous, but I, I just I don't see him as 
the leader slash performer that I would want to be giving three hundred plus million dollars to. So I was happy that they weren't at the top of the market as far as what they offered him financially. They they made an incredibly generous two hundred and fifty million plus offer with options, but but San Diego did offer more money and he went to San Diego. The question if you if you really want someone, now they may choose somewhere else, but you can be at the top of the market financially. You what what what's it what's what's your highest offer and okay we'll we'll beat it by a million or five million or whatever do do you think the White Sox will go in yeah, I know you don't know this but do you, let me ask this how's this do you think they should go to the top of the market to pay Garrett Cole would you do that uh, Garrett Cole's really really good and the White Sox have a lot of money that they're not spending on players right now and so I think when you put those two things together I think that it's an obvious answer to say yes they should go after them and him and try and get him at all costs because he's been so fantastic uh, since he's been in Houston. And obviously before that, he had some good years in Pittsburgh as well. Uh, He's one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. And if you are the White Sox, I think you should be confident with the starting pitchers that you have, you know, in your organization already, be they at the major league level or injured at the moment. Um, But I don't think you can ever have too much starting pitching. And to add a guy who is going to be, you know, one of the top two or three finishers in the Cy Young voting this year is never a bad thing. Considering his age, you can give, you know, a long-term deal makes sense. And like I said, the White Sox have the financial resources to do it. Rick Hahn has talked about how it has been a goal of this rebuilding project, you know, one of many, to position themselves financially to get these elite free agents. Uh, and they've done that with uh, what they have currently on the books. So they have the financial resources to go get it. Again, there's going to be a lot of competition and a lot of other factors in that decision uh, that, that any free agent, Cole included, is going to end up making. Uh, do I think they should try and go get him with the biggest money they can? Yeah, I do. Garrett Cole, just to take this to one and we can move on from Garrett Cole. I'm just looking at his numbers here. He threw 203 innings in in 2017, 200 innings in 2018. He's going to be over 200 again. So he's been consistent his last 3 years, which is huge if you're going to I mean you've got to bet on somebody who's going to be healthy. You never know with pitchers, but I guess you feel comfortable. He's also he's missed time in 2016, Vinny. Uh threw 116 innings, uh, 21 starts. It's it's just terrifying with pitching. End of the day, this but this is a guy who's twenty nine years old as you mentioned. He's seventeen and five. He's, I mean, the, and the record doesn't matter as much nowadays. And he's playing on a great Houston Astros team, but the whip is ridiculous. He's giving up less than one hit and walk in an inning at point nine one. That's the best of his career. So I mean, if you're gonna do it, it it really does line up that, that it makes sense that this this could be a fair investment for the White Sox going forward that you can feel at least somewhat confident in. But what do, what do you think it takes dollar-wise? It's going to take a lot. It's it's going to take, I mean, you're talking about a guy who just turned 29. Uh, he's right in that prime window. I mean, I would not be surprised, you know, if it's if it's one of the richer free agent pitching deals that, that, you'll, that you've ever seen. Um, but, you know, that's kind of how things go. You know what I mean? Those, those, Deals don't get smaller, uh, and that's kind of how things have been going here in free agency in baseball. Regardless of position, uh, you know, if you get a guy, if you can get a guy in his prime that's one of the best players in baseball, that's the price. And uh, you know, the White Sox have positioned themselves to do that. I'm sure 28 or 29 other teams out there would uh, love to have Garrett Cole as well. So I think the competition is going to be pretty steep. We were surprised last year when we saw how few teams were in on Harper and Machado. Uh, I don't, I don't 
know if we'll enjoy the, or the, if the White Sox rather will enjoy the same luxury this time around. Yeah, and for the record, we just talked about Garrett Cole for a bunch of time here. I don't think they're going after Garrett Cole. I, the White Sox have never shown a huge excitement uh, or, or willingness to pay pitchers top dollar for many, many years. It's just that has not been in their mo at all. Uh, you know, Jerry has shown that he'll go out and he'll pay for Albert Bell way, way back in the day, and whatever he'll give Jose Abreu money. And I, I think you know that's a contract we can talk about in a second. And they went after Machado, but I, I don't. I'd be stunned if Garrett Cole was here next year. But but just putting it out there, that's the top guy, so it is worth a little bit of discussion here. Do you think that uh, there will be any changes in the coaching staff, any? I don't, and here's why. I think a lot of people, you know, if my Twitter mentions are any indication, I think a lot of White Sox fans up there look at what the offense does on a daily basis and says, you know, what's the deal with the hitting coach? Well, I think you can very easily say the argue the opposite and say, Yon Moncada and Tim Anderson have gone from two guys who really struggled at the plate last year to the two, arguably the two cornerstones of your of your rebuilding process. Uh, Aloy Jimenez has shown uh, some flashes this year, but it's been kind of an up-and-down rookie season for him. If he makes a similar jump this offseason into next season, and you've got those three guys really hitting at an all-star level, which is what Moncada and Anderson have done all year, even though those two didn't make the all-star team at midseason, uh, then I don't really think that you can say, well, they did it in spite of, of the coaching staff or the hit, or the hitting coach uh, in particular here with Todd Steverson. I, I think that you've got to give him credit uh, as well as those guys for the for the changes that they've made to their game. Right, right. Uh, I love Todd Steverson. He's been on the show a zillion times. Uh, if they do move on from him, if that if if your Twitter mentions are correct, that uh, I would hope that he would get get another job in baseball. But we'll see. It it, se- it seems to me like there might be a tweak on the staff. I don't know. Are you getting the same sense? Um, I don't know. I mean, Ricky was asked about that the other day, and he said, you know, there haven't been any conversations on that. Um, I would not be surprised, you know, if the season ends and it's a, a uh, in-depth, uh, you know, evaluation by the front office and Ricky as well. And uh, perhaps, perhaps something happens, but I, I think I, I understand the idea of that because you're seeing a team that's, you know, having another losing season, another season without the playoffs. But you know, this rebuild is is, is pointing in a positive direction. I think with a lot of the young guys you've got. And you've got to give the, the the guys who are there to to coach them a chance to coach and manage. In Ricky's case, a team full of talent, and that's I think that's what if you're if you think that the coaching staff needs to be changed because of what Dylan Kobe is doing and because of what Adam Angle is doing, uh, that's not really the point. <laughs> fair, fair point, right there. And uh, <laughs> I I, uh, I think White Sox fans are looking forward, perhaps, to the day that Dylan Covey is not in the starting rotation. Maybe he can be a bullpen piece. Rooting for you on that one, Dylan. But uh, I don't I don't think he'll be a starter for the White Sox next season. Vinny Duver, NBC Sports Chicago. I'm up against a breaker, but let me give you let me give you two real quick ones on the way out here. Number one, make a prediction right now on what exactly the deal will be with Jose Abreu. How many years and how much money? And number two, give me the thing that you were most pleased uh, watching the White Sox this year as you covered them for NBC Sports Chicago. Go ahead. All right. Well, the second one's easy. It's got to be Lucas Giolito because, I mean, from the transformation he made from last year to this year has been absolutely astounding, and it's uh, something that's really positive for them. Abreu, I'm not good with the money, but, uh, you know, the White Sox love him so much. He loves the White Sox. I'll say he's rewarded for his uh, love of this organization with three years. Three years. How much? Uh Uh-huh. How much? Oh, 
I'm not go- I'm not good with it. I don't even I don't even really know. Let's say <laughs> let's say let's say it's you know up there between fifty and sixty. I guess that's that. I got me pinned to it. I don't even know. Okay, I got I got Abreu on a two year deal with an option, forty five million total. Mark Carmen is on the record. Vinny is sta- standing back on the, on the dollars, which I respect that, Vinny. <laughs> You, but you do have Jose Abreu coming back. I, I'm going two and an option. You're going straight three years. You think he really gets the three? Yeah, I do. I, I think I think those two are a, a match uh, a match made uh, in White Sox heaven. There, yeah. So. yeah, fair enough. All right, great to, uh, great for you to come on on Sunday, Vinny. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy man over there. Thanks for taking the time and congrats on being on the pregame show. And we'll read you at uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Thanks so much, Vinny Duber, covering the White Sox. Let's do a quick timeout on White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Sox and the Seattle Mariners are coming up. Uh, Reminder team that you can join us for the final free t-shirt Thursday of the season. That's when I get emotional. I don't like these final things. I hate when baseball ends. I hate when all seasons end, actually. Don't like it when the NBA season ends. Don't like it when football ends. Uh, But anyway, join us for the final free t-shirt Thursday of the season, September 26th. The Sox take on the Indians at 7, 10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will take home a White Sox t-shirt presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park and win big. Purchase your tickets at WhiteSox.com today. Sox, as far as paying Jose Abreu, uh, listen, ton of money that they can give Jose. Everybody appreciates Jose. I'm sure Jerry Reinsdorf would like to do right by Jose. So, And it's also going to be a short-term deal. So this is not going to impact you down the line when you actually have to sign guys and pay them like Luis Robert. Hopefully, who knows, that may come sooner than later, like Nick Madrigal, when the rebuilds start to get expensive, like Yoan Moncada. At some point, if you're going to go forward with these guys, then it gets real expensive, but that's not going to be in the next couple of years. So if they want to pay Jose Abreu big dough for two seasons, they'll absolutely be able to do it. Uh, and now, he said that he's going to sign his own contract, so I don't think he's going to hold them up for money either. That that deal should get done and get done quickly. Uh, Scott Merkin will be with us here coming up after the one thirty news. Soak up the last bit of White Sox baseball this season with bleachers and brews. One bleacher seat, two beers for $22 to select remaining games. You do have to be 21 and over with a valid ID. Bleachers and brews is presented by Budweiser. Uh, to purchase your tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew and enter the promo code brew. Joe Brand has the pregame show today at 2.30. Rando, you're working hard over there. You you got everything, anything picked out here? Ivan Nova starting today? Yeah, working uh, so hard. I, I just picked up this note that Danny Mendek actually led the AAA Charlotte Knights with the most hits in uh, this season. Can you believe that? 133. If you were listening to White Sox Weekly, you would have known that. And I believe you were, actually, Joe Brand. <laughs> I believe I gave that answer. Uh, no, that was a great note. Uh, pleasure to be here, Carmen. It's, Good to see you, buddy. I, I love being graced in the presence of, of White Sox Weekly. I did pick this up. I thought, you know, look at the lineup. You know, why, Tim Anderson's leading off. That's kind of cool. That, that doesn't happen often, and doesn't happen often because he has 12 walks this year. Uh, but obviously, he's leading the majors in batting average. So, you know, let's let's take a look at what he does leading off this year. When Tim Anderson leads off an inning, he's hitting four sixty one. Now, that's an underrated stat. 
Because everybody talks about what is he, what does he hit leading off period, but what does he actually do leading off an inning? Yeah. I, I, I like that stat. And that's not a small stat. It's it's over 100 at-bats. Now, what is a small stat is him hitting in the leadoff spot. That's only three times. This is the fourth time Ricky's put him in the leadoff spot. He's hitting 571 in a small sample size again. Yeah, I get it. You don't want a guy who doesn't walk up at the top step. I mean, he's he's a fast guy. He steals bases. He, he obviously gets on a lot with the bat. So this rest of the year, why not? Why not stick him in the leadoff spot? Maybe pick up a few things in the next year. No? Uh, no? Well, the, my, my concern on that is, like, look, and it's not about individual performance and it's about the team, but at this point we can – at least focus on the individual a little, and I get the guy, that. The guy's but going for a batting title. You're going to put him in a spot that he's not as comfortable in. I wouldn't do that to him. That's true, but he did express to Ricky that he wanted to be moved up in the lineup. Did he just mainly express only hitting number two? If that's the case, then okay, yeah, I'm I'm fine with leaving him at number two. But I don't think it's a total. You're you're taking away the team chemistry when you move him from number two to leadoff spot. Right. Okay. You want? I, I I just. I'm not saying he, I, he needs to be batting leadoff for the rest of the year. I'm just saying, hey, you know why not? I just see a lot of guys when they get in that leadoff hole, they try to do things just a little bit right, differently. But most of the time, those are situations where the guys are pressed to get something going, and the offense is in a rut. And that's not quite the case right now with this team. I just love the first four hitters in the lineup. You got Anderson, Mancada, Abreu, Jimenez. That's fun. That, that's cool. That that's a very that's a nice start. No question about it. <laughs> Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal, add those two in. Let's let's add some real depth in it. Who's hitting fifth today? What do we got in front of Wellington Castillo. Okay, well, there we go. Uh, that segment, by the way, with Joe Brand has been sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. we got news coming up, and then Scott Merck and MLB.com. That is next on White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. White Sox and Mariners coming up. White Sox Weekly until 2.30. Spent the break checking Instagram like any good broadcaster would do. And the first thing that popped up was the Big Hurts Instagram. And the Big Hurt, Frank Thomas writes, Lil Frank strikes again, long touchdown run this morning. So proud of him. And he take Lil Frank gets the ball in the backfield, and he's just no one's touching Lil Frank. Uh, Scott Merkin covers the White Sox, but he knows everything about everything. And uh, I'm curious if you know anything about Lil Frank here, Scott Merkin, because the dude's breaking tackles or not even breaking tackles. Speed through the line, go, getting touchdowns. This could be the next running back for the Bears. Yeah, I saw that video on uh, Twitter, I believe, and yeah, he, he, he good push by the offensive line because uh, <laughs> he ran pretty much untouched for whatever yardage it was at, at that level, but. I'm guessing, knowing his dad and his commitment to the school, that uh, he's already probably committed to Auburn, right? Even at that young age, and ready to ready to be in the backfield for for uh, for Auburn at some point way down the line. This is this is uh, this is a man that's got some athletic talent in Frank Thomas. All right, Mark. Uh, we just had Vinny Duber on, one of your fine friends slash coworkers or whatever you want to call call each other. Not that you work for the same place. But, yeah, did a uh, did a real nice job. I happened to see on uh, the pre and post game last night. Was called him to service and did a did a good job on that before and after the Seattle game. Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't tell me how much money he thinks that Jose Abreu is going to get. So, how much money do you think Jose Abreu is going to get? You know, I I don't know that either. <laughs> here for your over two on that. I, I here's what I would guess. I would guess it's going to be something like two years and an option. I would think one year and two options probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But I would think two years and an option. 
And just knowing Jose as I do over six years, and it's, you know, primarily covering him aside from a few, you know, charity events that I've seen him at and that kind of thing. I don't think he's going to look for, you know, I don't think it's going to be a case of, well, if I don't get this, I'm going to the open market. I think he's kind of a, he's kind of lost that leverage already when he told us four times probably that if the Sox don't sign him, he's signing himself back here next year. So, But I think that was said out of knowledge that, you know, even though it's not official and I don't know if anything's even been talked about on that level, he's going to be back and it's good that he's going to be back. I mean, he's had a great year for the team. I understand that people have been on his, you know, on base percentage a little bit this year, but I think he's, there's certain guys for certain things. And I think he's in the middle of the order to make things happen and to bring runs in. And my goodness, he's done it better than anyone in the American league in terms of RBIs this year. So I don't know the exact, I really couldn't even guess at this point because he hasn't certainly hasn't indicated what he's interested in, what he's looking for. I don't think it's about the last, I know it's not about the last hour for him. So I think two years in an option would be a deal that would work well for Jose Abreu. 116 RBIs, which is a career high for him. That's second in baseball by Anthony Rendon. has had a ridiculous year for the Nationals. He's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I mean very, uh, I would think has to get into that NL MVP mix, even with Bellinger and Yelich's just unreal season. I, I, you know, I think all three are playing for contending teams. It's really a, a three-way race in the NL. I mean, I would vote for Rendon. The, the, the Nationals are going to make the playoffs. Nobody thought they were going to do that, or at least a, less people thought it once Bryce Harper left. And he's, I mean, he's absolutely, and he's a free agent. That guy's going to get big, big money. Yes. Uh, Merck, how aggressive do you think the White Sox will be in the offseason, free agent-wise? And Joe Brand here, by the way, he wants to ask you a question next, but answer that one first. <laughs> I, I think the White Sox will be active. I'm not saying they're going to go out and give a blank check to Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon and say, you know, do the Andre Dawson method and say, fill in. Well, that was actually the other way around. Andre Dawson went to the Cubs, right, and said, you know, fill in what you want from me. But I, I don't think they're just going to say, let's do it. Let's get whoever. I, I think there's a there's a method behind it. But I think they are going to make moves. And I think it's going to be, a, I know it's going to be a bigger offseason than what it ended up being last year. And one of the things last year was they knew this season was still about development and not so much contending. Now, you know, some teams got off to slow starts. They got off to a decent start for the context of year three of the rebuild where they were 42 and 44 at the break. So I think it gave people a little bit pause for thought that, Hey, if some of these teams continue to struggle a little bit, maybe the Sox could sneak in as a second wild card. That didn't happen. And things played out as people kind of thought they were. And then, you know, the guys they added in the off season who you know, had good numbers coming into this year, Yonder Alonso just did not have a good year. And John Jay was hurt for, you know, pretty much the entire season. I think even when he came back, he probably wasn't at a hundred percent at that point. And Irvin Santana, they could not get the Irvin Santana from a couple of years ago. So, you know, it just didn't work out. But I think they're going to make significant moves. I think you're going to, they're going to see a, a DH. You're going to see a left-handed bat for the outfield. You're going to see a veteran starter and at least one reliever, maybe two relievers. No matter what you have in the bullpen and what you like and what you don't like and what you believe you project to come back for 2020 and beyond, you always need more relievers. And I'm talking beyond what you have in, you know, the minors that you that you can say, well, he can come up by June or this is a starter now who could certainly be a bullpen guy next year. You always need more. So I would think, you know, they're going to go after that. And I think it's going to be a lot of free agency because I really don't think they're at the point yet where they're ready to identify and package certain minor leaguers to get, you know, a, a big player to add to the team. I think it's going to be the free agent route for the most part. Where do you think Zach Collins just fits into the whole package you just detailed? Because if you're adding a DH and he's not going to be an everyday catcher, that seems like a guy who may be playing perhaps spending more time at AAA. It's a really good question because, you know, I think Zach had a, a rough run 
when he came up here the first time, but it was a designed rough run, according to Rick Hahn. And even Ricky Renteria has talked about this. And not designed like, let's hope he fails, but to the extent that maybe he needs to so he can see what he needs to do to change. And he did that, and he went down to Charlotte, and he killed it. He was great that whole second stint with Charlotte. And, you know, I, I, he's playing more often now, and I think they're still trying to figure it out. You know, I, I think it's interesting, and there's probably reason beyond this that they haven't given us at this point, but that he hasn't caught a ton, you know, since he's come up. He, he is catching today, and he's catching. He's caught, we'll end up catching two out of three games this weekend in Seattle. Maybe we'll see him a little bit more behind the plate during the final week, or final two weeks, I'm sorry. You know, there's uh, – seven games against Detroit in there, and then six against contenders, three in Minnesota, and three at home against Cleveland. So maybe and there's a doubleheader in there, too. So you may see him catch a little more. But I think that's one of the things they're still trying to figure out, and one of the things that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and everyone else, Chris Getz, have to figure out going into the offseason, where do you put Collins? But as of now, I would say he's more along the lines of that catcher, first baseman, DH amalgamation, as opposed to just strictly you know, a catcher working with James McCann for 2020. Scott, I know when we talk about the White Sox, we talk about the future. But And I know last night was a late West Coast game and extra innings. But have you found any resolution on the final play of the ball game last night? Because every replay I've seen, it looks like it hits the top of the wall and it comes back in. <laughs> and it seemed like Rick Renteria was not happy whatsoever. And I feel really bad for James Fagan because he seems like he was kind of the punching bag in that situation. Uh, but I, the, the umpiring crew looks at it and says, yeah, that's a home run, or at least that's what New York says. And then they... The the last thing that's in the Sox hope is maybe Narvaez didn't touch one of the bases. I mean, did you see a look at all that made it look like a home run? No, I mean, I I didn't look at it that closely. I have to admit that I'm not out in Seattle for the series. You know, it's uh, James Fagan and then our great writer out there, Daniel Kramer, is filling in for us. And I think those are the only two writers covering the trip out there. I saw it, and it's hard to tell. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately, it went through replay and came up uh, – you know, in favor of Seattle. I, I think the Sox were actually looking, you know, I, I read that they're looking to make sure he touched home plate when he crossed. That's kind of grasping at straws. But, you know, kind of an unfortunate ending to a, a pretty a pretty good game where Dylan Cease pitched competitively and the bullpen did a good job up until that, you know, one cat, which is very ironic in that Narvaez, it's the home run off the guy who he was traded for from Seattle. I just want to say that I'm impressed that Joe Brand is still fighting for this because he was doing he was doing you were doing post game last night Joe Brand yeah it's and, near and dear to my heart because I'm still it's still a fresh wound apparently. right right but it was midnight and you were doing sports this morning and yet you were willing to forego sleep and your sanity to let the White Sox play that game out to what should have been the completion. That that is a dedicated po- don't you agree, Mark? I mean most guys that are like- is beyond dedicated. That that's that's a that's what they call the quick turnaround there, right? In in the middle of football Sunday with college football going on last night too. Right. All this going on and still wanting to get that wanting to get that extra that extra chance for the Sox to pull one out and add to their win total for 2019. Right. I'm right. just I'm just very near and dear to the phrase with instant replay. I just want to get the play right. That's all I want. And I don't know. I think they got it wrong. Hey, hey Merck, I was I'm doing sort of a I don't know twenty five thousand feet look at the at the season this year and including the minor leagues as well. And Charlotte's eleven games better. And Canapolis is ten games worse. Uh, these now and records don't matter in the minors. And then you start looking at how they got there. And Charlotte's a lot better because Daniel Polka's down there and he's hitting twenty seven homers. And Alcides Escobar had a good year. And Danny Mendek, who's a great story, uh, you know, led the team with one hundred and thirty three hits. Uh, so 
none of those guys are obviously a part of the future. Been a big way. I hope Danny Mendick, maybe Danny Mendick can be a guy that uh, you know plays all over the diamond for you. We'll see. But then you also look at well, part of those wins is Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal. Look what they did. Uh, like what? Do you, what? Oh, when you look at everything that happened this year, I mean, what? Uh, what's? I guess what are you most pleased with? What do you think is the best thing for the White Sox? And and do you think they're looking at everything as as this has been a plus year? Yeah, I would think you know much like last year. You know, last year they lost a hundred games, and people said well, they weren't supposed to win. And I understood that. And there were some good things that came out of last year, but there also were some things that kind of needed to be cleaned up, even with a team that wasn't designed to win. And I think that's, again, the case this year. The defense has not been great overall. They're In a year when home runs are way up, they're not hitting for a lot of power. Now, again, that just may be the lineup they have, and it may be a function of nothing more than that. But let's go to the good things. I mean, number one is Luis Robert just tore it up at every single level he played. You know, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, Charlotte. Now, the White Sox disagreed with me, but I think he could have, you know, been in the majors in August probably and done just fine. I think the same with Nick Madrigal. Nick Madrigal is kind of that, when you say change of pace guy, it makes him sound like he's not going to contribute past that. But, I mean, really a good hitter, an elite defensive player. As is Yomer Sanchez this year. Yomer Sanchez very well might get in the final three for American League Gold Glove this year, even though, you know, he's, he's not hit the ball very well. But aside from that, his defense has been tremendous. But I think Madrigal is a great story. I think a guy like Jonathan Stever in the minor leagues has been a great story. And then you go to the majors. I mean, Lucas Giolito has been outstanding. And I, one of the things I love about Lucas Giolito's development is he's already at a young age in just his second, you know, full season with the Sox, kind of taking on that, you know, that leadership role in the pitching staff where he's kind of helping some of the other young guys. Because let's face it, he went through a debacle of a season last year. He led the American League in walks. He led baseball and earned runs allowed. And now he's probably going to be a, a top five guy in the AL Cy Young this year. And, you know, really a, a great credit to him for what he, the work he put in the offseason to turn things around and then play it out through the entire He was saying this in spring training. We were sitting there talking to him. I was talking to him. Everyone was talking to him in groups that this was going to be different and that he found a routine and he was going to stick with it. And he found certain things that worked for him, and it, it did all year long. And then the same can be said for Yohan Moncada. You know, what, what a great turnaround. His year was not bad you know i think certain numbers stood out his batting average was down a little bit he had the 217 strikeouts but he really did have some production last year but it's taken that to even another level in 2019 we talked about abreu you know another consistent i mean this guy is you know aside from the the kind of weird medical problems he had at the end of last year he has been as consistent as the day is long every year he's been with the white Sox. and let's not forget tim anderson my goodness what a year tim anderson has had and I understand the air total is still up a little bit, and Ricky Rentry had talked about part of that as a function of, you know, his range that he gets to so much stuff. But I mean, the guy is leading the American League in hitting with what 14, 13 games left in the season, and he hit 240 last year. And again, another guy who put a lot of work in in the offseason. You know, you go back to Zach Collins just real quick. People have talked about that about his dedication and that they think you know you're going to see. What Zach learned this year, coupled with his hard work in the offseason, really manifests itself into excellence next year. So that's something I should throw in about Zach, too. But a lot of good things. And it's not to sugarcoat that the team, you know, is probably going to lose 87, 88 games this year. You know, had some bad stretches. They lost four in a row at Kauffman Stadium to Kansas City, which, you know, should not happen. But there are things moving in the right direction. In the same sense, you got to finish it now. you got to move on with the rebuild. You know, it's I've always said that at some point, you have to get off the cover of Baseball America or off the top three rankings of you know MLB Pipeline and win. 
And Rick Hahn knows that is not something that I'm making him aware of. And they're going to work towards that in the offseason. And may, if it's not 20, they're hoping, you know, 2021 starts this window. But hopefully that gives you, I don't know if you'd agree. I don't know if you'd add anyone else in there. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. But those are the main guys that jump to mind on what's you know what's been good this year. Well, I, I think Brando's got one. The one guy that I would throw in there is James McCann, and it's kind oh, of oh yeah, yeah, he's been outstanding. Yeah, I think he's been as much as you know he was a revelation offensively in the first half. Just the way he's handled the pitching has been remarkable this year. Has been tremendous. And I'm curious, do you make James McCann an offer perhaps in the off season? I mean, he's going to be a free agent after 2020, so you you could get aggressive with that. I don't, I don't know if they will or not. Scott, I want to I mean, know. You could, yeah, go ahead. Please, you have him another year, right? So you, you don't you don't have to push it at this point. I would guess. Right, and I think a lot of Sox fans would agree with you on that too. Um, I want to know: Do you have an opinion on Dylan Cease's first year? I'm not talking about what he's going to be be down the road because right. we might know, we might not know. But do you have an opinion on him on his first year, or are you going to wait till his final out, final pitch? Because it <laughs> seems like we learn a little bit something more about him each time he takes them out. Yeah, and I think that would be that would have been my argument on why Robert and Madrigal would have benefited from being up this year. You know, I mean, if if you believe, I agree that 2020 is that next step up. <clears throat> excuse me, from like you know whatever they're going to win this year, 72 games. You know, next year it could be up to 500 or past that. Maybe even you know if you get the right people in the off season to add to this mix, sneaking into the wild card mix. And I understand Rick Hahn said this a bunch of times. The goal is not just to get to the wild card. The goal is to win multiple championships. But you got to get in the playoffs first, right, before you can start talking about multiple championships. So that's kind of the first goal to hit. But, yeah, I, I think it's all part of the learning process for him. He certainly has great stuff. He certainly has shown that at times. But his biggest problem, which he talked about, has been execution. You know, I mean, he had that great start against Cleveland, I guess it was, right, three starts ago now, where he struck out 11. And Terry Francona, who's seen everyone at this point, you know, raved about how great he was after that game. And then he went out against the Angels and walked five guys in an inning plus. But in that same instance, managed to limit the damage. You know, gave up one run, even though he threw a lot of pitches. And I think the same thing was last night, right? From what I watched of it, he walked some guys. But again, kept Seattle from, you know, kind of taking advantage of the free passes and kept the Sox in the game. So I think it's been a good first year for Dylan in the fact that he's learning what does work and, more importantly, what doesn't work and can apply that to a full season next year when he gets to the majors. And, yeah, I think you'll know more about him, much like Lucas Giolito, a little bit like Ronaldo Lopez as the next season, you know, progresses. But I don't know if you guys, what you guys would say. I think it's been, you know, I, I think everyone would have liked him to come up and, you know, gone, what does he mean, 13 starts, gone 11-1 and one with a 2 ERA, but it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes the struggles end up benefiting you more than, having success right away, you know, it helps you learn what you really need for the long haul. I mean, the biggest thing that I was concerned with Dylan Cease was that he was going to be able to handle the innings jump. And if you, you look at what he, I'm trying to pull up his, his AAA numbers here, how many innings, but he's thrown 67 innings uh, in the majors, and he threw, uh, hold on, I got it right here, he threw uh, 68, am I got that right? Yeah, 68 66 and a third at Triple A, so he's about so they haven't. It's going to be a little bit of a jump to say 145, which is not huge. So they did that exactly right, uh, and and he's gotten a lot of experience. And I, you mentioned one thing, work with him is he just does throw a ton of pitches. So that'll be something that'll have to you know refine as he goes forward. But I, overall, it, the numbers haven't looked great, but I, you can clearly see the talent is there. So I. I I think overall I, I would call his year a plus. Um, up against the break here, Merck. Always appreciate you jumping on here, and uh, we'll see you at Guaranteed Rate Field for the final homestand coming up. And uh, are you are you jumping on the trip at any point here? 
I, I will be, I'm leaving today. For, we'll be there for the rest of the way. The final, uh, what is it, final 13 games, Minnesota, Detroit, Cleveland, and Detroit. All right. We'll be reading you, Merck. I always do it. MLB.com. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take Thanks, care. Scott. Scott Merkin, MLB.com. Quick timeout, 720 WGN, White Sox Weekly. Seven twenty WGN White Sox weekly on the air till two thirty. Joe Brand's got the pregame show at that point. Got some uh, breaking news too. Yeah, yeah. Mike Trout season is over. Foot surgery. He'll re- miss the remainder of the year. You know what's interesting to me about Mike Trout? That's uh, I mean the Angels aren't involved in any race here, so that's I guess too bad. But whatever, he'll be ready for next season. If Mike, who's the face of baseball right now? You would say Mike Trout. I'd say Bryce Harper. Okay, okay. See what like? Let's go back in time. Face of baseball in the nineties. Who would you say? Sammy McGuire. Yeah, I mean, but we're Chicago, so that's why I say Griffey. Sammy. Probably, yeah, Griffey. Then Griffey. Uh, yes. Okay. Ken Griffey Jr. walks into Nordstrom. Do people know who he is? In in Chicago. Y- yes. Yes, I, I would think so. Right. If Mike Trout. No. No chance. No. You would have no idea who he is. Nope. And and that's even baseball fans. Mm-hmm. If Mike Trout was sitting at guaranteed rate field in the bleachers, I think maybe a couple people might realize, is that Mike Trout? Mm-hmm. But I, most, and I, to me, that's a problem for baseball. You know what? I feel like, because this isn't the first time this argument or conversation has been had, I feel like the sake of this conversation is creating more buzz for Mike Trout. Maybe it is. Because Nobody knows who you are. <laughs> now we have to know. But I don't know. Bryce Harper is the, the flashier, good-looking guy with the crazy hair and the beard and does some crazy antics every once in a while. That's why I just feel like he's the face of baseball. You know, talent aside, whatever. Right. There's just something about baseball promoting their guys that they could do better at the end I, of the day. I get it, but I mean, if Mike Trout's on the Dodgers, I think he is the face of baseball. Mm, I don't know. I don't, well, Seriously. Because, you know, right when I said Bryce Harper, the, the, the other guy I thought of was Clayton Kershaw. Okay. For the face of baseball, and, well, but it's easier for position players. Jeter was a face. Right. I mean, and that and that was a great face for baseball. Mm-hmm. Never did anything wrong. Playing in the pinstripes, all that. I, I just... I, maybe none of it matters in baseball. People love going to baseball games and drinking their beer and eating their hot dogs, and 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 it's never going to be sort of NBA ish. Because all it hurts is the casual fan, right. because they're just a little less or uninformed. But there is a whole demographic: the people that are watching baseball are getting older and older and older. And at some point, baseball is going to figure have to figure out what can they do, and they're trying to to bring in the younger crew. Yes, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because of everything I look at on the internet, but I, I scroll through Instagram and I see millions of baseball highlights. And, you know... It, it's because with, you're Joe Brand. I know, that's, that's I'm probably biased when I say that. But, I, I mean, I feel like kids and, and teenagers are scrolling through and they find stuff like that, too. Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe they do. And, the, and people are playing Little League. I gotta... Yeah. We got a chase and a kid out there. We're doing a great job. All right, that means that we're a little bit late for news. So, quick timeout. Two minutes. Uh, we'll get your news update with Pam Jones on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN, with you till the bottom of the hour. We're going to have a 
Play a little bit of our conversation with Mike Shirley, the new amateur scouting director for your Chicago White Sox, coming up here uh, in a matter of moments as we look to the future with how the White Sox will acquire talent. And Mike Shirley uh, stepping in with uh, Nick Hostetler, moving more onto the major league operations. So Mike's been a long, long time scout and now getting an opportunity. Uh, to run the draft, and uh, it's, it's a it's a big move uh, for the White Sox. As Hosteller's now the special assistant to the GM, so we'll hear from Mike in a second here. Reminder that Sox fans, we are giving back to you on Sunday, September the 29th. It's Fan Appreciation Day as the Sox take on the Tigers at 2.10 p.m. For the last home game of the season, you get a chance to win a variety of great prizes for tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com today. All right, let's pick up our conversation with Mike. And I asked him about, you know, look, you see guys that are super talented, but there's also that makeup part of it. What do they have upstairs and you sort of have to balance, like, this guy's, you know, has it going up top, but maybe not as talented, or this guy's super talented, but perhaps doesn't have the, the same level of commitment as others. So here was uh, Mike and how he sort of figures out, you know, who, how he balances that and when the White Sox are going to take a risk and draft a player. Well, I think that's that's your role. That's your job. It's. I mean, everybody thinks, oh, you're a scout, you just go to baseball games. I think it's so much more in-depth that these guys work so hard. They drive hours to see players um, go through the process of being a player. Your job is to evaluate not only the skill set that they physically bring, but the, the person they are, the background, the parents, their history how healthy are they? there's so many things that go into like the scouting process it's just not like hey, oh he's a good player we're going to take him now that's it's a way more in-depth conversation and makeup is a key i mean that's a, just a, the foundational piece and i want you to do a little word of the wise for any high school kids who may be listening right now would you not ask like their teachers uh, where they eat like you you're going to get information wherever you can right uh, anywhere and everywhere, those Twitter accounts, those Facebook accounts, um, so many people, uh, they make mistakes in those arenas that, you know, we do have to ask them the question, why this or why that, uh, the makeup of how you treat others. I mean, it says something about who you are as a person and how you care about others. Those foundational pieces, they, they, they matter. The Internet is written in ink. It is. So can you give a – I know you've got a, a ton of guys, of course, you know, 20-plus years here, but is there any story where you think back, like, I scouted this guy and it just sort of, like, hits you on the heart that you're so glad that he got to where he got to? You know, my favorite – not my favorite because I have a lot of favorites. It's, it's hard to single one player out. But my time with Nate Jones, signing him, scouting him, was special. Um, I think if you White Sox fans know how talented Nate was, the ups and downs he's been through to go through his career, but Nate Jones is an even better man and person than that. And we were lucky to have Nate. We only wish him the best all the time in the years he spent here. He's a true White Sox piece for us, and he great career, but most importantly, great man, great family he came from down there in Kentucky. It is a special, special situation. What was the draw with Nate that uh, stood, 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 excuse me, stood out for you? Nate threw like a hundred. <laughs> Nate had a power, power breaking ball that's hard to find, you know. But I mean, Chris Getz was special. Clayton Richard was special. There's some of these people, you know, are special. We talked about Jonathan Stever a little bit down to the special. Aaron Bummer. 
I mean, we, we talked about that story with him where we just we kept hunting him down in the draft round after round after round, just trying to get him to agree to terms. And, you know, it's turned out to work really well. I mean, it's great. He pitches the eighth inning. He's a substantial piece for us right now. So this, those stories, that they matter. You know, so. I heard through the grapevine that you have a, sp- a special thing with Aaron Bummer as far as what you sort of just started to name there. What, what, what was it about Aaron that made you want to continue to chase him like that? You know, first off, it starts with an area scout and J.J. Lally who really believed in Aaron and, and what he was. I mean, those pieces matter. You, you go see, he had a quality history. There were some things mechanically he did that you didn't agree with. You think if this guy fixes this, he really has a chance. But, you know, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad. I mean, we talk about that story just like unrelenting, calling him round after round after round, just like just trying to get him to you know agree to be a White Sox. And I give the kid like who he is, the courage he had to say no round after round. You, you, I mean, it says who he is. See, that's a word that I'm still trying to learn for myself. No, because it, because if because if you say no, then they may never call you again. You got to have a little belief in yourself. That does speak to a lot. But but the truth on Aaron, I think if you ask him, like he was making the right decision because you think about what he's doing today. I think it shows what he believed in himself. And even those moments of adversity or challenge when someone's his dreams got to possibly coming true, he had the ability to say no. And I think that speaks to who he is. So when you're sitting with a guy, too, who's just trying to say exactly what you want, what he thinks you want to hear, I mean, you have to have your antenna up for that, too, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's pulling the curtain back and looking a little deeper. I think that's where you, when you talk about speaking to a teacher or knowing the background of players, that's, I mean, well, I, I joke. One of my good friends is the director of scouting for the Pacers, and he talks about situations with me where he pulls a deeper curtain back, and we have these conversations a lot about like you have to look beyond the surface so much, and you get good at reading the tell on players that they're telling you just what you want to hear. So. And then there's the other side. This dude is super talented. I think he could be a, whatever a thirty thirty guy. And then there's the off field that I don't like. How, how do you do you take a risk on a guy like that? Because not everybody's going to be coming here with uh, you know the straight A student who's got a perfect makeup. Well, first off, if taking if there was a perfect world to this, I wouldn't be sitting here because someone else would still be doing this job. Um, it's difficult. And I think you have to be willing to take risk in the right situations. Risk management, just like anything else, it's vital, crucial. But the White Sox organizations must continue to take risk on players. If we don't, we will be left behind. So that will continue to happen. And that's an orchestrated event also. We know about the makeup. We know about the limitations of players. We are well aware of those. We feel you, White Sox fans. They have limitations, but we will continue to risk and hopefully get the reward we're looking for. Well, it's, it's, it's all, I get it. It's a balancing act here. I want to go back to You mentioned Chris Getz, and I, I used to work in Kansas City, and so I saw Getz playing uh, with the Royals, and I would see him in spring training, and he would walk in, and this was just a really confident, relaxed, easygoing guy, and then, and he's not, you know, 6'3", and yet, a guy like that makes it like, what, what were you seeing in Chris Getz back in the day? I think that's exactly what you see in Chris. He looks so confident, comfortable. I'm, I'm just talking about the scout who scouted Chris Getz. That's what you see in him physically, the mannerisms. But the more you get to know him, you realize the competitive nature. It's super intelligent. It's a baseball rat, and he loves it. 
and he's passionate about it. So those exteriors, you don't always get to see. He, trust me, yeah. I, I I know White Sox fans. Yeah. He he's he's the right man for as a player, and he's the right guy running our minor league system. Mike Shirley's with us here, the new director of amateur scouting for Chicago White Sox. So, take us behind the scenes here. They approach you for the gig. When? How does that go down? Well, that I mean, that's you know, you know, you get brought in for the interview. They, I mean, I, I had a candid conversation with Rick and Kenny and. Well, Rick was telling me that you know they wanted to make sure they hired the right man. They want it wasn't just like stay internal. They did look at this through a wide lens, through a deep lens. It wasn't they want what's best for the White Sox. Those guys are working extremely hard to build something here, and we are headed in the right direction. So it wasn't just like hand this off to Mike. It was an interview. Um, Rick was intent with some of the questions he directed at me. You're talking about a man. Oh, I feel like I have a great relationship. He pulled no punches, and it was you know he he put me to the test. So it was interesting. Not and not, to be fair, it wasn't necessarily what I expected because when you have a friendship with somebody like that, I I prepared. I wanted to try to win the job. I did. I mean, it's not every day you get offered this opportunity. They call you up. They say it's you. Oh man, that I mean. Look, man, I, like I told you down there, I've, I've driven the, the back roads. I, I've been, you know, I've, I've I've seen games no one else saw. But I wanted to get from where I've been to where I'm at that no one, I mean, I know, my wife knows, my children know. Outside of that, there ain't many that know. So, And you don't ever know that it's going to happen. And, and and again, this is another step along the journey, but it's just it's a validation for everything you put into it. Yes, but it's also like a validation that your appreciation for the White Sox believing in you and believing that this is the right place. It's it's my place. I'm on the team. I want to continue to be on the team. There's so much more to this for me that means more because the relationships, the people. I'm a fan. I believe in this place. I was born and bred and raised here. It's something I want to continue on. So. And you were here in '05, and so we're, we're dreaming it again, right? I mean, it's 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 coming, and that's that's the goal, right? It's absolutely the goal. I mean, I I, I don't the high end competitive environment we continue to try to mold around here. That's that's from top to bottom. That's the goal, and '05 was special. I think White Sox fans know how special it was. I remember what it was like. I mean, I I want to go there again. I, we all want to go there again. You have a favorite '05 moment? You're lighting up talking about it. Just like being with my children, because I'm just an area scout, sitting there watching the game late, just being with my children, just getting to experience that with my family. You'd spent so many years in baseball and the minor leagues and doing all that. I, I think it's just it's special. It's just special, the, the men that you work with every day, the celebrations. Um, it's just unique. I remember White Sox fans just crazy like my son watched this dvd of the championship that they put out like day after day after day after day him growing up as a kid so it never stopped for like two years because we watched that dvd over and over again so special as we wrap up here let's do it next steps uh you know what's right in front of you right now uh just getting communication conversations going with all the scouts obviously just named today um it's just just you know connecting with them making sure everybody is in the right spot sharing vision with them um we have a couple scouts we we have to hire 
Um, and we're looking forward to hiring, you know, fresh new faces and keeping it going, keeping it going right. So. Got a little bit of time. I think I can. Re- I can. I can. I got. I got. I got some skills here. Now I've been. You know, I've been around the park my whole life. Yeah. Anything else you're looking for? Makeup. Right. So the makeup's right. What about the skill set? I mean, I could be a little bit light on the skill set. Well, but congratulations. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, if not 2020, 2021, hoist it up, and uh, awesome. and then let's go back to back. Absolutely. Let's let's please do that, and we all look forward to that. So, thanks for the time. It's really a good opportunity for me. So there you go, Mike Shirley, the White Sox new amateur scouting director. That's a big move in the organization. That's a big shift, and uh, best of luck to Mike to uh, step in and, and do a phenomenal job moving forward. School may be back in session, but you can bring your family afford a White Sox game for as low as $49 with the family four-pack. You get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, four chips. It's presented by Country Financial. Prepare for your financial future one simple step at a time at takesimplesteps.com for tickets. Visit whitesocks.com slash four packs and enter the promo code value. Take our quick time out here. We'll do some of our weekend review, as much time as we have it with pregame coming up at the bottom of the hour. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly head to the park for the final dollar hot dog Wednesday of the season. Take advantage of this deal one last time. Wednesday, September the 25th, Sox take on the Indians. 7-10, first pitch there, brought to you by Securian Financial, who can help you make every moment count. Find out more at securian.com. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash dollar dogs today. Let's do our week in review, and we go back to September the 8th, which is last Sunday. The White Sox, a winner over the Angels, 5-1, to which ended up splitting, or to, uh, which ended up with the White Sox salvaging, I should say, the final game of the series, and Jose Abreu was in the middle of it. Here's the 2-1. Abreu swings, and a long one to left. Tagged, bagged, gone! 31 home runs. Turn on the fireworks. Sox lead. Two to one. Yeah, and they go on for the five-one win, and Abreu sitting there with now 116 RBIs tops in the American League. Big day on September the 10th. We're moving to Tuesday after the off day on Monday. It's the White Sox. It's the Royals. It's guaranteed right field, and it's Eloy Jimenez. The one-one, swinging a high fly to right. This is tagged, going back at the track. Slam! I say turn it on. I can't. The pups are here. 4-1 White Sox. <laughs> and he's a good hitter first. Stayed inside the ball. He didn't hit it to the patio, but just to the right of it. He took aim, and he didn't miss. And he hits the grand slam, and it's a break open inning for the White Sox. Yeah, you don't want to be turning on the fireworks when it's dog day out at guaranteed right field. And Eloy looked at power to right field. The White Sox went on to win 7-2-3. September the 11th, Jimenez doing it again. The one-two, high and deep to right. Does it have enough? At the track, at the wall. Turn on the fireworks. White Sox lead, and they lead three to two. He's hit his 26th. And on his way to 27th, Kansas City did come back and get that one, eight to six, as Ronaldo Lopez did not have his best stuff. But the next night, Lucas Giolito did. As I mentioned, strike after strike, he is on a roll. Seven straight strikeouts. And he's got an 0-2 count on Mejia. The wind and the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss at a fastball away. Make it eight in a row for Giolito. 
White Sox record right there. Way to go, Lucas Giolito. And lastly, Yohan Moncada's had a phenomenal season, and it continued on Friday night. Moncada with the 3-0. Line to left. That's down for it. That's got a chance to clear the bases. Depending on the left fielder, Abreu being waved in as well. The throw coming in held. It clears the bases. Moncada with a three-run double. How about that one? That was a wiffle ball to left. Uh, Indeed it was. Yohan rolling along here as uh, the White Sox have just have to be incredibly pleased with what they've gotten from Yoan Moncada. White Sox winning that game on Friday night 9-7. to They'll go for two out of three today with the Mariners. The pregame coming up in a matter of moments. 720 WGN.